yeah, as far as my my impact I want on specifically on the track, I want to be the most dominant Paralympian to ever exist. I want to, by the time I'm 20, 23, I want to be, you know, winning the 100-meter finals. One of my goals, actually, is to win the 100-meter finals in L.A. by over a second and a half. That's my goal. I want to just, like, that's, I want to be the most dominant Paralympian to ever exist. That's my, that's my, that's my goal, you know, as I get older. Hey guys, welcome back or welcome to the Strategist Grow podcast. I'm your host, Nate Reese. Today on episode four, we have a treat for you. My guest is Ezra Fretch. He's a Tokyo 2020 Paralympic hopeful for Team USA. He has a sight set on the podium at multiple events, but he understands it's a process that is currently paying his dues. Don't let the fun sense of humor and electric personality fool you. He's a champion through and through. Personally, this is one of the most impactful conversations I've had in my life. Ezra has wisdom beyond his years and gives us a glimpse into his mentality, which allowed him to make such a successful jump into the senior scene. Ezra, my man, welcome to the Strides with Carol podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Dude, of course. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, um, you know, first off, I think to just kind of give my audience a frame of reference, um, you know, I would love to just see how you've been doing. I know COVID, uh, you know, I think you've probably been asked a million times how you're doing, so I don't want to talk about it for too much, but just kind of want to check in on you and uh, see how your training's been going. Yeah, I mean, it's been good. It's definitely difficult, right? Because nobody wears masks in LA, so the cases are extremely high, and so everything's pretty much shut down. So I had a pretty difficult time finding a place to train, and um, I'm basically hopping the fence at UCLA right now and working out at the track, um, and I'm, you know, trying to find like little local gyms that are would let me you know use the facility so it's been hard but uh um i i found i was working at a train at ucla for a while and then we went on vacation so i haven't really trained in in a bit and then now coming back and i'm starting training in a few days and so definitely excited but i i think i figured out a good system and, and worked some strings and finally figured out a place to train so it's good it's good good man that's awesome have you been able to train with any teammates or or your coach out of practice yeah, I was training at uh, UCLA with my coach, so we would both meet there, and we would, you know, obviously social social distance, and you know, we do our workout or whatever. Um, really hard to stay away from people because the track was actually pretty packed for not even being open. Everyone was just kind of hopping the fence, and there was uh, there was tons of people and very few masks, so we were the only ones at the track really wearing a mask. So it was difficult to stay like away from people, but you know, take what you can here. <laughs> Yes, no, absolutely. I, I completely understand that. Um, and, and if you don't mind, I would love for you to share kind of your your backstory and, um, you know, kind of where you got into Paralympic sport, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. I uh, So for those of you who don't know, I was I was born with one finger on my left hand and I had a lower left leg that was curved in. And then right, I had surgery, they removed the curved part and they took the big toe and put it onto my left hand. So I'm an amp. And I also have two fingers on my left hand. And I, I played, I mean, I played pretty much mainstream sports growing up, you know, basketball, soccer, football, you know, whatever was really in session, Nate. And, uh, and then it wasn't until I was eight years old, my dad took me to my first Paralympic track competition. 
and I, you know, I, I played, I, she basically signed me up for every single track event possible. I mean, 60, 100, 200, 400, long jump, high jump, discus, javelin, shot put, everything. He's like, well, coming all the way out here, you know, might as well try everything. And I, I fell in love with the sport then. I didn't realize that this would be what I was going to do. with my, I knew I knew it was fun and you know, I enjoyed it, but I was an eight-year-old at the end of the day. And my dream was still to go to the NBA. At the time, basketball was my, still my number one. And it was that. Basketball was my number one favorite sport up until 2016 when I watched the Rio Paralympics. And let me tell you, Nate, my entire life changed from that point on. I saw my life differently. I, I mean, everything just suddenly everything started to revolve around track for me. I was so inspired seeing all these guys who I like literally like hung out with at Angel City the year before competing at on the biggest stage on the planet. And I made a video twenty minutes after like one of the Paralympic like one of the track sessions ended. And I was in my backyard and I set up a bunch of stuff. And I said, I had my mom film and I said, hi, everyone. I'm Ezra Freck. Um, this is a, my first official training session for the 2020 Tokyo Paralympics. And from that point forward, I knew that this is what I wanted to do with my life. Like, this is what my dream was. This is what I wanted to accomplish. And so that's really like, yes, I did. I did do track when I was eight and all that stuff, but that was more for fun. From that point forward, I spent, I've spent the last four years of my life, you know, working endlessly to compete against guys that are 10, five, you know, so much, so many years older than me. And so that was really the moment that I knew that like, you know, things are changing and this is what I want to do with my life. Wow. That's crazy. I just have goosebumps just hearing you talk about that. Um, and I know 2019, at least in my eyes, was a huge year for you. Um, and let's kind of go over, you know, a couple of those accomplishments. Uh, first off, you went to world juniors and, and, in Switzerland, and that was a yeah. gold medal performance. Can you walk me through that, and how was your preparations leading into that? Yeah, yeah. Switzerland was pretty crazy, dude. I uh, that was my first like real international competition. Uh, anything going out of the U.S., you know, wearing the U.S., all that stuff. That was the first time, and so I was super, super nervous for that. But I was with a bunch of guys who I had sort of like not grown up with, but I had competed against like before. So like all the guys on the U.S. team were like I was became really close with, and we sort of came like a little group um and it was pretty fun and it was uh and it was you know we spent a lot of time in the hotel the hotel there by the way nate oh like almost like it was like it was insane and for like a juniors world games it was like it was so cool but it was sick i was having a great time and i learned i think the most i've ever learned about myself at a competition in switzerland and in switzerland it was pretty interesting because the day before I high jump, or the day I was supposed to high jump, I, you know, was so nervous that I thought the way to ease my nerves was put in headphones and just go sit by the track and just think it out. Like, just th you sit there and think. So I got to the track four hours early before I was competing, and I just sat there thinking. I didn't really talk to anyone that day. My roommate, like, didn't really talk to me because he saw that I was, like, kind of doing my thing or whatever. And so I, I got to the track four hours before I was supposed to compete. And I just sat there in the USA tent, just had headphones on for like literally three hours. And then I started warming up and I was so nervous, like so nervous. And I, get, and I ended up performing absolutely horrible, like literally horrendous. Everything went wrong. My blade kept hitting the bar, like literally the worst performance I could have ever imagined happened. 
somehow I still got the gold medal, but like the performance wise was horrible for me. And I was super hurt and I was like a bittersweet moment, right? Because I performed so horribly. But then I got this U17 world championship gold medal. Like, so I was had to be stoked, but also like kind of upset. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. I learned, I learned in that, that day, that that's not how I operate. I'm not the type of person to put in headphones and music, like, and just only not talk to anyone, not be myself and just sit there and sulk in this sort of nervousness. When I realized like, I have to be like, talk, I have to be the dude, dude, be a normal day, be happy, light, talk, whatever. And then when it's time to focus, I focus, right? Not just like sit there and overthink everything, which is what I did and it ended up, you know, not turning out too well for me. But Yeah, well, obviously you learn quick because off the back of that performance, uh, you know, you dipped your feet into the senior championships at the pair of Pan Ams and, and Lima Brew and I had a front seat to your whole high jump championship. <laughs> I was sitting next to your mom and dad and I was losing my mind every time you jumped. Like it was PB. After I was like, "Whoa, this is outstanding!" Can you like kind of share what emotions you're going through then? Yeah, yeah, dude. Peru. Thank, first of all, thank you for watching. Like that was so sweet of you. And um, and so Peru was, dude. Peru was the most fun I've ever had at a track competition ever. Because I was like, I was going. I didn't really know what to expect. My first time competing against adults, and I was basically shadowing Sam. I was shadowing Sam Groot, right? And he told me two days before the competition, we're in like some room and I was like, dude, I want to go one, two so bad. I want, that's all I want. I want, to, want you to get gold and me to get silver. And he was like, he said, he literally said this. He said, do everything I do for the next two days and that will happen. And so literally not even joking, like it, I did everything he did. Right? I ate when he ate. I, you know, slept when he slept. I went to Norma Tech when he went to Norma Tech. I did all the things he did. I trained when he trained. We stretched together, like everything. I just shadowed him for two days before because uh, I was still learning what I wanted to do. And Sam operates the same way as me, right? He goes through a normal day and he, you know, does whatever the same way. And then he just focuses up like a little bit before and competes so he doesn't overthink things. Basically the exact same thing that I do. So we operate very similar. And so, I mean, he, and so we, yeah, it was such a good time. I was just hanging out with him, getting ready and prepared. And then the day of, I, um, the day of I was supposed to high jump. And first of all, Nate, I don't even read. Like, let me tell you, I don't like reading books, but I was told by my coach and by Sam that I needed to read a lot that day in order to get my mind off of everything. And so I picked up my Kindle and from not even from like nine to like one thirty-two, I just sat on my bed reading. Cause, and I, and I was, my mind was completely not focused on the track competition. I was, you know, four hours away. And so, I mean, that night was just absolutely insane. And I was so nervous, but I like, I meditated. I was in such better state than I was in for Switzerland, way better state. It wasn't like nervous. It was more like, wow, like I'm taking this all in kind of, you know what I mean? That, that sort of feeling. And I was walking around the stadium, right. As we were going in and there was people like chanting my name. And like, they were like, yo, we follow you on Instagram. And I was like, what the heck, dude? I was like, I was like, I'm in Peru at a championships and there's people like yelling my name. Like what? That's never, you know what I mean? Like if I'm saying I follow me on Instagram, like that's crazy. And so that, that whole night was surreal. And honestly, it's such a blur to me because I was just in such a, like a euphoric state of just like, I don't even know how to describe it, but like. I was so like on cloud nine that entire time. And I mean, 
honestly, I wouldn't have been able to do it without Sam. And just every jump and everything was just like such an adrenaline rush and such, and not even like an adrenaline rush for the first ones, but like a relief. Because I had had such an issue with my blade hitting the bar, right? Because I don't have control over the bottom part. So I, I would just, the blade would, con- it's what happened in Switzerland, the blade would swing back and hit the bar. And so, you know, at World Ch- at, I mean, at, in Peru, um, we you know, figured something out to like, stop that from happening, but I was still nervous. And so like, I never have cleared my first like five heights back to back like that ever. Like my entire life high jumping. I've high jumped for like, I don't know, like six years. It's never happened. I've cleared five heights straight and I did it in Peru and I kept going and it was like ridiculous. I couldn't believe what was happening. And like, and then, you know, I ended up getting a silver medal behind Sam, which is exactly what we planned. And it was like surreal. It was unbelievable. And like, I've never, it was so, you know, I, I get like excited thinking about it. Like, holy crap. Like that was the dopest thing ever. You know what yeah, I mean? That was, that was so cool to watch being an outsider and to see your parents react at, uh, at this success of yourself was so cool because, you know, they're just proud of you for, um, you know, just killing it. And it was just so cool to see the passion in their eyes. And um, I was, like I said, I was just, I was sitting behind them and losing my mind. And I mean, there was no other place I, I would have rather been than to see uh, you manage to still do that. Was, uh, that was a pretty awesome moment. Dude, thank you. Yeah, it was cool. My mom, my mom started crying. Of course. <laughs> oh, your mom your mom's an awesome woman. So um, and then let's make a transition to worlds. I know that was, you know, you're facing all all of the big boys now and um, you know, there's people that are probably 10, 15 years older than you that you are competing against. How was that experience and um how did you you know how how did you go at it? Yeah. Worlds is really interesting for me because I was a little bit more experienced now on the international stage you know not obviously like crazy experience but i sort of knew what i was getting myself into and what was trippy about that experience at worlds was like in peru i've never really seen these guys before besides some of the america's guys a lot of these guys weren't guys who would make the world team right and so it was cool to compete against adults and cool to do all that stuff but i hadn't really seen them before and also in peru the classes were mixed right so i was competing against like it was like a point system thing in Dubai, these guys were the same guys that I watched in Rio, the same guys that inspired me to, you know, even take this journey, right? Watching the high jump, watching the, the T-63 high jump in Rio and seeing Sam get that silver and, you know, all the, like that was what inspired me in the first place to like, yo, this is what I want to do with my life. And so when I was walking into the call tent and seeing dudes who I watched on TV in 2017 and who I've followed and i like studied their form and all this stuff was blowing my mind and they knew me too they knew me as like the young kid like the they were like hey it's a young boy or something like they're just like making jokes about and i was like oh my gosh like this is really happening i'm competing against the you know the rio champion i'm competing against like all these like i literally like it was unbelievable to see and it was just such a surreal experience i mean especially for like and also in all three of my events too in the 100 meter, same thing. I was like, all these guys that I've watched in the long jump, same thing. And I I, I performed really well in the 100 meter. I was really happy with that. Made the final. Took eighth place. But um, like that was really cool. But in long jump and high jump, I performed like decent. It wasn't like amazing. It was like a decent performance. Um, and for I was also really nervous for that. But I was in a really good mental state. But like I was, uh, 
I was just happy to be there, dude. And I knew there wasn't like a, I was trying to, obviously I was going in like, I just want to meddle, but like I'm 14 and like these guys were like, I would have to, you know, do something ridiculous, ridiculous to meddle. So I went in, I had like a pretty good performance. I could have gone a little bit higher. high jump probably could have gone a little bit farther in long jump, but like, I mean, I just learned a lot from seeing the guys and it just, and also it motivated me so much, like beginning last place in the hundred meter final that motivates me like to this day, like literally the, the, you know, like the, what's the picture that they take just like the, with all the, 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 I don't even know how to describe it, or the lasers that show who gets first and second, you know, that picture kind of that they take. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know the name though. I don't know the name either, but like, I somehow got a hold of ours and I'm barely in the frame. Like I'm at the last possible thing and I made it my lock screen on my phone. So every time I open up my phone, I see that. And I'm just like another motivation. I'm going to print that picture out and hang it all over my room so that I know like, Hey, you got last place. That's never going to happen again. You know what I mean? So like having like as much as I didn't perform as well as I'd like to, and like I got seventh and I got two eighth places like that's and made the finals. Like that's amazing. And I'm super stoked about it. And it was such a great experience, but like, that's never happening again. You know what I mean? Like I'm not never letting that happen after, you know, what I, what I did. So yeah, Dubai was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously I know performance is super important to you. Um, I'm someone who loves mindfulness and I meditate before basically every day, twice a day. And I was wondering if you have a practice and, you know, that's really helped bring um, my level or my performances up to, to the next level. So I was just curious if, uh, if you had a practice. Uh, meditation i i should do one every day i do i do it like when i need it if that makes sense like i do it like if i'm super stressed out or like but i need to do it every day dude it's so good it's and i like i not that i dread it but i do dread it because i'm like oh i don't want to meditate but then before competition i'll obviously do anything to boost my performance so like i will then that when before competition i meditate willingly but like my mom sometimes has to like force me. Like I just don't want to do it. It's like you know what I mean. I just I don't know, man. But like I uh, before like big things, a test, like a big thing that I need to be super focused, I will meditate. But I don't do it frequently, like I should. You do it two times a day, you said. Yeah, yeah, mostly. But I've gone through super ebb and flows with it. Like I definitely agree. Like sometimes it's like, oh, do I have to? Like, do I have to put this down what I'm doing and just close my eyes and have nothing to do? Um, but when you meditate, what do you like, do you just do it for relaxation? Do you visualize your jumps? Do you visualize your races? Um, Uh, kind of work your focus for that. It's different every time I, what I do is I go to this place called like a secret garden almost. It's like a place of like complete Zen, complete calm, happiness, just like positive vibes, like everything. So I, I basically what I do is I, it's so cool. I've never talked about this before. I, I start off and I get like all the light going right through my body and I just feel like super awakened. And then I walk through like a forest and I cross like a bridge and then I get to this waterfall. Right. And I, and as I walk up the steps to the waterfall, I get like each step is like deeper and deeper and deeper into the meditation. Then I'll probably like splash the water on my face, whatever. And then I, kind of hop down beside it and there's just like a door just like a door in the middle of the woods and I open that door and I close it and then I'm boom I'm in this in this like see I my I'm in this like this field with like a house and there's like a lake house and then 
there's like a big tree and I, I usually go and I speak to my grandfather who passed away there. I, you know, talk to him a little bit. I, you know, get some love and I talk, you know, we just have like a conversation about it. Usually if it's before competition, you know, and then I, um, and this is so, it's like weird to like talk about out loud, but like I, depending on what I'm doing, I'll like visualize like a jump or whatever, like I'll, uh, you know, go through that. And then, um, my spirit, not my spirit animal, but like the animal that like, I try to like, emulate or like bring the energy of when I compete is a cheetah and so like I have like I imagine like a cheetah coming up and right I like you know feel the energy and I just feel super and just like the whole everything just like gets me really hype and then I like and like hype but like calm if that makes sense like just empowers me kind of and then I uh and then I imagine my I visualize the jumps like a few times or whenever I'm doing that day um, and then I will, you know, leave and it can be like a four minute meditation or it could be like a 30 minute meditation. It all just depends on, you know, what I'm feeling and what I'm doing. But that's, that's basically what I do when I meditate. And I mean, it depends on what I talk about with my grandfather or whatever, but like, that's basically what I do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's super cool. I mean, meditation is pretty new for me. Um, and it's just made like such a huge, huge difference. And it's cool to see the different practices that kind of each, each person uses, but, um, and, if you don't mind, let's let's look forward a little bit to the 2021 season. Let's say that COVID does slow down and we get to have a full season and there's mm-hmm. a parallel break at the end of the year. What are the, what are those goals that you have? I want to be a multi medalist at the 2021 Tokyo Paralympic Games. That's my that's the goal. And I, if Tokyo was supposed to be this year, I wanted to my ten year plan basically. Before COVID in Tokyo was going to, we would be in Tokyo like in a month or probably right now, honestly, would be I medal, get one medal in Tokyo because I'd be 15. I'd be really young. I only, I'd just medal in one of my events and then Paris, I'd medal in all three. And then, because I'd be 19 then. And then um, LA, I'd get all gold, break all, that was all world records. That was my, that was a 10 year plan. That's changed a little. Because now I'm a year older, and I know, I like I know that I would have medaled in Tokyo this year, and I know that one more year just gives me another chance to get another medal, and I I strongly believe in you know in my training and and also like I'm growing still like I'm like I'm still getting like stronger I'm figuring things out like so like as right now is like time where like my increments of improving are going up tremendously and I haven't high jumped in like six months or haven't really long jumped in like six months but like I know that when the time rolls around for us to start jumping again um, especially now with this whole training arrangement we figured out like I'm so ready and I'm so excited I was thinking about this I think they might if if COVID doesn't slow down they might do like a bubble sort of thing you know what I mean have you seen what the NBA, what the NBA has been doing? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, anything to get to allow us to compete, I'm hundred percent game. Yeah, with like no fans, or like they make the fans like there's only certain part like your fans have to stay like the seats are like six feet seats are blocked off. You know, it's something like that, something similar. But but yeah, so that's basically how I'm feeling with Tokyo. Gotcha. Yeah, and I'm curious. This is something that I like to ask all of the athletes I have on my podcast how do you set goals are you a person who puts it up on your wall up on your ceiling is it just something you have in your mind um obviously 
we're talking about it, so you'd like to speak about it a little bit because I asked you about it. Uh, how how do you go about setting those goals? Yeah, it's a good question. I um, I believe strongly in manifestation, and so I uh, I have a journal right now, my training journal, where I write down you know how practice went, all that sort of stuff, and in the back of it, I have twenty six life goals just goal random just random stuff that's going to happen and so i talk about my goals a lot i uh, i don't have them up on the wall yet that might be something i do you know in the future but um i mean currently i i just have them in the back of the book and i you know continue to you know i write them down a lot and i uh I mean, I, I do talk about it a lot, but I just I, I, I probably should put them on the wall or something like that. But I, I mean, I haven't gotten around to doing it. I just uh, I believe in like, you know, manifesting and, and the law of attraction. And and so just me writing my stuff down and writing the goals down constantly is, you know, getting into my head like that's what's going to happen. And that's and, you know, and I really believe it, too, because like at the end of the day, a lot of people can say they have goals, but they don't really believe it. Like I believe wholeheartedly I'll put my life on it. I'll walk away from Tokyo with two medals. You know what I mean? Like I really strongly believe it. And so, and having that almost is like my similar, like having it on the wall or something. It's just like how strong I know. I I don't even, I don't even believe it's going to happen. I I know it's going to, you know, I know it's going to happen. You know what I mean? That's like my mentality. So that's kind of how I have my goals set up kind of. Yeah, definitely. I, I share that too. I know how hard you work. I mean, Obviously, I don't, I don't know the, you know, the little ins and outs of how hard you work, but from an outsider, I definitely know how hard you work. And um, yeah, I mean, I know that you'll be there and, uh, you know, it'll just be a matter of executing and I know that you'll do that. Yeah, thank you, bro. Thank you. All right, now let's make a little bit of a tran- transition to off the track. And I know on this, um, you know, you and I really connect on educating, influencing, and pushing the par- Paralympic movement forward. And a lot of us just talk about it, but you're doing groundwork and you're making impact. Can you share what programs and resources that Angel City Sports provides? Yeah, for sure. So Angel City Sports, we basically provide sports equipment, training, and competition year-round for athletes with physical disabilities. And our, and our main goal is just to provide that sense of community for people who are maybe lacking it right because we know the sports community so well and we know how strong it is how tight-knit it is and so to have a place you can bring that community to athletes and people who may feel left out in their lives and they feel like they don't fit in and so to bring them together with people who are like them and compete in sports and and on top of that we're just furthering the Paralympic movement Right, because by LA, our one of like our close range goals is by LA in 2028 that we have the stands for the Paralympics packed. We have sold out arenas. That's the goal, right? And that would happen if people knew what the Paralympics were. The word got out, and people realized that it's not the Special Olympics, and that it's just as elite and competitive as the Olympics. And of course, that's going to take a while before people, you know, equate it to the same. Uh, level as the Olympics, but like we're doing it and we're trying, right? Everything, every, you know, every person with a disability on TV that's, you know, normalizing being just like having a disability and seeing it on the main screen, right? Because it took a lot of time before we got like, you know, people, you know, people of different races and it's not only just like whites on, like in America at least, 
on like the TV screen and we got, you know, people of all different races and ethnicities on TV and diversity, but we don't have people with disabilities, right? They're not up there. So like everything that we're doing to bring, you know, attention to the adaptive community for people to like realize that this is like a serious movement. And and on top of that, like they do like Olympic profiles and stories about how like, yeah, like my, you know, my dog died when I was training and it was difficult to continue. And like, yeah, man, that's hard. But like, how about like getting your legs blown off by a train and then coming back and becoming a Paralympic medal? You know what I mean? Like the Paralympic stories, like enough, like I love the Olympic stories. They're great. But the Paralympic stories are so much more raw, so much more like insane and unbelievable to process. Like, yo, he lost his leg from getting hit by a car and then came back and did this and like spent years depressed and came back and did, you know what I mean? I'm not obviously my story, but like, there's so many like amazing comeback stories about these guys so like i think paralympic movement deserves so much more attention and deserves so much more than what they're getting right now so that's kind of that's like there's like a few like underlying goals of angel city and yes it's to provide sports at the basis of it but like really it's more than sports and it's providing that community and it's providing awareness right and making people with disabilities not feel like outsiders in today's society so that's basically Angel City Sports in a nutshell, kind of. I went into a little deeper, but like that's basically what the goal of Angel City is. Yeah, and I think, you know, to use Kobe Bryant's words, sports is the best best metaphor for life. And if you take that away because we have a we have a disability or there's or you look different, you know, then that's you're totally taking away what sports is supposed to be. You know, I think exactly. what you guys are doing there is so amazing. And there's such a variety of sport too, which is cool. Like I mean I mean, I even, I'm hoping to come down, you know, when it's safe and experience, uh, you know, the Angel, Angel City Games. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, dude, it'd be awesome to have you out. Yeah, man. Well, um, now we have some, some rapid fire questions. Um, we have some funny ones. Um, I have some LA based ones because I know that you're, uh, I know that you like your sports. So, um, <laughs> first off, Kobe or LeBron? Kobe, easy. You met Kobe, right? Yeah, I did. Really cool guy. That's awesome. My uncle was his uh, was his physical therapist for the last two years of his career. So um, we oh, both had a little bit of a background with him. That's it. Uh, Clippers or Lakers? Lakers. Rams or Chargers? Rams. Your Pan Am silver medal or your World Junior gold? Pan Am silver. That's a good question, though. That's a really good question. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I was I was trying to think of a tough one for you. That was good. Uh, favorite sport to watch off the track? Basketball. Most influential person outside your family? Ooh, um, outside my family. Dude, it might be, I think it's Sam. Honestly, it's Sam. Sam grew, for sure. I mean, he's he's inspired me so much and helped me so much through all of this. So he's probably the most influential person. Outside my yeah, head. one thing I really find cool about Sam is that you would never know that he's world world champion. He's such a down to earth dude, and he just like trying to help you out. I remember the first time I met him was at Pan Am, and he was just such a cool guy, and we were all just joking and bantering. And yeah, he's a he's a great guy for sure. Yeah, and dude, he's helped me for the past like four years figure out high jump, and like I'm his like technically I'm his competition. Obviously not near the level that he is, but like I'm his competition and he's helping me out. Like and in like 
I would literally consider him one of the people I'm closest to. He like literally takes me under his wing and like, you know, he's such a good guy, dude. He's like, he's like my mentor, role model, friend. Like, like I call him my dad actually sometimes as like a joke <laughs> because like people call me the mini Sam. So like, it's like my dad kind of at the Paralympic meets and stuff. So he's awesome. Yeah, he definitely Sam. What's your favorite place you have visited? Dubai, for sure. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty pretty rad place. Did you go like touring for a few days after? No, I did not. We went straight back. Oh, I didn't. I went to London for uh, London, England for a while to visit some family and uh, to just chill. Uh, yeah, yeah. I went. We went for one day. So dope, dude. So sick. Where'd you guys go? We went. It was a big long day. Got up at like three a.m. Went on like a a crazy ride and in this guy's like back in this guy's car through like all the sand dunes and then we went uh sandboarding for a little bit then we went and rode some atvs then we went to this like village like this with like these tents and we had lunch then we came back and went to the uh went to the ocean or the the, the have you been, did, we, did you go to the ocean where you were there at all i went to the ocean once yeah and it was like the blue water we went there for a little bit and then we Went back into the city, and I, I got some jewelry for my girlfriend. We got some stuff for the family, and then we went back. And uh, and then I w- we went back to like the re- went to like the really like authentic part of Dubai, like the really authentic part. And we um, like we were walking through, and it was like all these like little like local stores, and it was like it, it was so cool. And we picked up some more stuff for the fam. It was amazing. And then uh, I went back to the hotel, got on a flight like an hour later. <laughs> it was a long day, but yeah, it was awesome. Oh man, that's that that is crazy. And if you don't mind, let's go back to the Paralympic movement just for one sec. And I'm just really curious. I know you've obviously been in Paralympic sport for a while. And what 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 evolution have you seen within the Paralympic movement throughout your life? And what what is one thing you would like to see change or just one thing would you like to see improve that's um just starting to be implemented now i think there's a few things and i i think it one of the main things that i've seen is the media coverage has changed for the for the better we uh in london i mean i barely remember that but there was very few hours of television on nbc very few right and then rio there was like 76 hours it was like a little bit longer you know what i mean there was more and then hopefully tokyo you know we'd have you know even more and so it's just improvement and improvement and then even like the stands being filled like peru like the stands are pretty packed most days like there was like and then the, the opening ceremonies is packed right that was insane and like just seeing the stands become more filled because like at Toronto Pan Ams, dude, I didn't see anyone in the stands. I was watching live the live stream. There was like barely anyone. And then now, fast forward four years later, you're in Peru and there's like 10,000 people in the audience. And that's just, and you know, you're considered a celebrity in Peru if you walk around with your medal and people are asking to take pictures. So just the media aspect and like getting the, because that's really how the word spreads. Like if people see the Paralympics on TV and they watch like a hundred meter race or they watch a fifteen hundred meter race, and they're like, "Holy! Like these dudes are like moving. This is serious." And it's like they, you know, guys from all over the world. And you're like, "This is basically the Olympics, but for people with 
you know, you know, missing a leg or with the, you know, a disability. So that was like, people see that on the TV, right? Or they come to one of the events, or like the Paralympics or come to Pan Ams, like that's like, and the crowds are being filled. That's something that's big for me. And then the thing that will just be changed is just even more TV, even more publicity, right? Why is the Paralympics only getting 70 hours when the Olympics is getting like, I don't know, like hundreds and hundreds of hours? Like, let's equal that out even more. Give the Paralympics the same amount of hours. What are people doing in August? What's going on in August that's more important than the Paralympics? You know what I mean? What's more important than like showcasing these athletes who have worked their entire lives? It's NBC's like starting to realize and starting to do a better job. But like, even what you're doing, dude, with this podcast and just getting the stories out. I putting it out there, I think is so, so crucial and so important. And so, I mean, that's as far as the Paralympic movement, what I think needs to change. It's cool to see how much it's changed, but like there's way more room for improvement. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I love being a part of the movement is that everyone has such a unique story and it's so impactful. And I think Paralympic athletes, like you can re- relate to them so much. At the same time, you know, you're in awe of them too because there's not many people like, I got paralyzed, you know, you, you are at, amputee and don't have part of your hand and you know they're just i think we really teach people how to adapt um no matter what happens and you don't need to have a catastrophic injury to be able to adapt it's just there's so many things in life that you need to adapt to and so i think our stories can resonate so much yeah no a hundred percent no you're completely right and i uh yeah commend you for everything you do Oh, thanks, man. Um, and so I asked these last two questions to everyone. First off, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at teamezer05, um, Twitter, same, at teamezer05, and Facebook at teamezer05. <laughs> and then uh, lastly but not least, what do you want your impact to be? And you can take this as off the track, on the track, or uh, all put together. Yeah, as far as my my impact I want on specifically on the track, I want to be the most dominant Paralympian to ever exist. I want to, by the time I'm 20, 23, I want to be, you know, winning the 100-meter finals. One of my goals, actually, is to win the 100-meter finals in LA by over a second and a half. That's my goal. I want to just, like, that's I want to be the most dominant Paralympian to ever exist. That's my that's my that's my goal, you know. As I get older, um, as far as my impact, I just want to normalize seeing people with disabilities, and I want to make on, on the TV screen, and you know, I want to you know further the adaptive sports movement and further the idea that people with disabilities shouldn't be feeling like outsiders in society, right? And so, I mean, I mean, I'm hopefully going to get into acting soon and, you know, doing tons of stuff just to grow my brand and grow everything. So that like, like maybe in like the next, you know, whatever ad you see a kid with, you see me, right? You see a kid with one leg in there and two fingers, or maybe the next one you see a kid with a wheel in a wheelchair. You know what I mean? And so just normalizing the fact that people with disabilities shouldn't be feeling like outsiders because they do, especially in the U.S., right? Everywhere you go, you feel like an outsider. And, um, and so to be able to like contribute to that a little bit, cause I, I mean, I literally just got a DM from a, uh, a kid who said that his friend is being severely bullied 
with one because he has one leg severely bullied and like now i'm trying to get his number i'm trying to find him trying to call him talk to him like figure things out but like dude like that's that shouldn't be like that why is he bullied over something he can't control you know what i mean like that's so messed up i can't even and so if i can do anything to normalize people with disabilities and mainstream media and just like spread get the word out and like because many people haven't seen people with one leg or people with you know, CP or people with, in a wheelchair and it just like creeps them out or creeps them out. Like, dude, that's not, they're just people. Like I, there's nothing, like there's nothing I want more than to, you know, grow the adaptive movement and, and make the Paralympics like a huge thing. So people see these like badass dudes, you know, going at it and running and like, so that, you know, inspires that kid who maybe is being bullied and is going through a rough time. Like, Oh, like that's what I can do with my life. If those guys are out there running on the, you know, world stage, like, hey, maybe that's what I want to do with my life. And that's, that's exactly what happened to me, right? I got, I was thankfully brought into the adaptive community and the Paralympic community and saw all this stuff and was able to, you know, figure out what I wanted to do and inspired me. So if it can inspire me, then it can inspire so many others. It can inspire able-bodied people. And so growing the adaptive movement and, you know, making people more aware that like people with disabilities aren't just like you know, people who can't act the same way as an able-bodied. In some cases, like most people in, in the Paralympics are running and wheeling faster than the average able-bodied man. You know what I mean? And so like just being able to like anything that I can do and making an impact in that sense and, you know, bringing awareness to the community, that's, that's basically my overall impact. And that's the legacy that I want to leave.